Romans 14. We have a few blocks here. It's not the whole chapter. Um, but I'm going to read a few of the blocks here. Romans 14, 1 through 4, 7 through 9, 13 through 23. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on slaves of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. For we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who considers it unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong to make someone stumble by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Hold the conviction that you have as your own before God. Blessed are those who do not condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Father, your word, yes, it, it's like a seed. It's also like a morsel. It's something that we eat. Lord, let us become what we eat this morning. May what we eat this morning, your spiritual food, be, be something that makes us clean. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've told the story before of a church in um, Scranton, Pennsylvania, back in the early 2000s. This was uh, a church called Hope Church. And Scranton, Pennsylvania had a problem at the time. Um, it wasn't, had any, didn't have anything to do with the popularity of the TV show, The Office, that uh, was not filmed there, um, even though the intro was. The problem Scranton, Pennsylvania had was they were losing about 10,000 people a year, just people moving away from this uh, 
uh, rusty town. And that had implications for churches, of course. And there were two pastors who were friends. Uh, one's name was Glenn, and I was trying to remember the other guy's name. I think it was Rick. Anyway, they were friends. One pastored a Baptist church, the other pastored a Presbyterian church. And uh, they were both sort of lamenting what was happening to their churches, people moving away, and they hatched a scheme. What if we joined churches? What if we took our Presbyterian and Baptist congregations and brought them together? By the time Sandy and I were part of this church, they had already joined up. They were already a team. Um, they were already one congregation with actually a brand new pastor. Um, but it was still a question. It was still a question of whether this was going to work. Uh, part of my upbringing actually happened to be Baptist, and part of it happened to be Presbyterian. And so I knew what was at stake in this association. Um, I mean, these were the two who fought to get to the uh, uh, Golden Corral first. I mean, you know, they're just mortal enemies. Uh, after the service, they would uh, try to get there first. But there were serious, more serious issues at stake, and the question was whether they could do it. That kind of tension, that kind of uh, difficult situation is interesting because it's a lot of what Paul's talking about in Romans 14, but it's also a lot of what we're looking forward to if the um, sociologists are right and this whole idea of a de-churching of America is true. We're heading towards a time when we just don't have the luxury anymore of breaking off into discrete groups where everybody is identical where everybody has the exact same ideas and the exact same beliefs, um, where we're going to have to go to church with people with whom we disagree. But this was exactly the situation in Rome when, when Paul is writing in Romans. Because in Rome, uh, the gospel is breaking loose. And all kinds of people from different cultures are encountering Christ, very excited about it, and wanting to be part of a community called the church. However, some of them are solid Romans. Some of them have more of a Greek background. And some are Jewish. And the situation that Paul's writing about is particularly about the Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians who felt very strongly attached to certain days of the um, year that were holy, particularly the Sabbath, and also certain foods that they just weren't allowed to eat. And for them, worshiping Christ was connected to these things. For others, it wasn't. And so Paul needs to try to help them with this very, very tense and difficult situation. And really what it comes down to is this one particular word he uses, which is the word welcome. The word welcome in um, the New Testament actually is a, a, a number of different words that we translate as welcome. Uh, there's one that means love of strangers, which is sort of remarkable. I, I learned that from Leslie's book, actually. Um, uh, it means love of strangers. And it, that's not the one here. The one here has this idea of sort of like um, including in the work, working together, being part of the thing. That's what's at stake here is this kind of welcome. 
And Paul's fundamental point is that we are meant to welcome each other in precisely the same way that God welcomes all of us. That's the foundation for welcome. Who are the weak and who are the strong? We sometimes uh, don't give the weak enough credit here. And I, well, so let's talk about who the weak and who the strong are. Um, it's not that people have weak and weakness in faith. Um, Jesus says you can have weakness the size of a mustard seed. Sorry, you can have faith the size of a mustard seed. Not weakness, but faith. And so you can have very small faith and be part of the Christian community. It's not that they lacked faith. It's that their faith was vulnerable because it was attached to cultural things. So what's permanent? The gospel. What changes? Culture. And so if we understand our relationship with God through certain particular cultural things, then our faith becomes vulnerable. Culture's going to change. Then what? What do you do when that culture changes if your faith is attached to certain cultural ideas? And so for them, there were certain cultural ideas in, for instance, the Sabbath, in eating only vegetables, and those cultural things were going to change. They were going to go away, and that made them vulnerable. But it didn't mean they didn't have an authentic faith. It didn't mean their faith wasn't that they didn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't criticize them for that. He just says their faith is vulnerable, and so he calls it weak. Who are the strong? The strong are not the group of people who can sort of rise above culture. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the strong have the ability to maneuver the culture. They can go from one to the other. So look at Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He grew up. He was more Jewish than any of us could probably imagine. And he's able to walk into Athens. He's able to go to Greece. He's planning to go to Spain. He's able to maneuver. He's able to go to these different cultures and plant the seed of the gospel. That's a strong faith because it's not boxed in by a particular, one particular culture. See, see how that works? So strong in faith, and it really has to do with these cultural connections. Faith is not, our faith in Christ is not limited to one particular culture, but also understand it doesn't rise above culture either. It doesn't float up here somewhere and have any sort of disconnect with culture. That's not what it does either. It's more like a tree that can get planted in any soil at all, but it does need to be planted. And that's what's happened throughout history, right? With Christianity, it's been planted in a lot of different places. And it has grown and it has borne fruit. And what fruit has it borne? The fruit of the Spirit. But it had to be planted in those different places. This past Wednesday, we were talking a little bit about this, the guys, some of the adults with the youth group, and we were talking about how Japan has, has uh, had a hard time with the gospel sort of taking root. And my own theory about that is that it wasn't that the gospel was having difficulty taking root, it was that a certain kind of colonial Portuguese uh, Catholicism was having a hard time taking root. Why? Because it's not Portugal, because it's Japan. And the gospel is supposed to grow in that soil. I'm not gonna go too far into that, but if you wanted to go further into that, you could um, uh, read uh, the work of Shushaku Endo. Uh, the guy who wrote Silence, there was a movie made about it. Um, he explores this really. So cultural connection is going to be inevitable. It's not a strength 
It's not a strength to say we're going to rise above culture. But Paul says something else that's pretty interesting, too. He says, he says, for those of you who are strong, the goal here isn't to quarrel. The goal here isn't to set the weak straight. In fact, he says, if you're strong, you should do what they do. You should just stick with vegetables. Do you have to? No. Should you? Yeah. <clears throat> it's very strange. Um, normally we think, well, we should enlighten these people. They're, they're in cultural captivity. But he says, no, it's okay. Just eat vegetables. Just uh, observe the Sabbath. Don't, uh, don't build a shed on Saturday. It's a big deal to these guys. So don't do it. It's not that big a deal. Why? What's at stake here? For Paul, what's at stake is nothing short of the gospel itself. Here are some reasons that he gives. Welcome people as Christ welcome all of you. So if all of you have been welcomed by Christ, you should treat each other the way Christ treats you. Don't trip someone up because that's someone Jesus died for. They have an infinite value to God. Don't be careless in your relationship with them. You don't get to judge. Only God gets to judge. Isn't that liberating? What a wonderful idea. We don't have the responsibility to judge people who we think there's something wrong with their faith. We can, that's God's responsibility, not ours. And then he says, our lives are not our own. What should you use your life for? What is your faith about? Is your faith there to perfect and curate some sort of like perfect religious experience with God? No, it's not. Your faith is there to serve others because that's, why, that's what God did for you. Don't be a community that is right about everything. This is not your goal to aspire to be perfectly correct about every single thing. Be a community that looks like grace. Be a community that would not make sense, that would not even be possible apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Be the kind of community where people say, those people should not be together. That doesn't make sense. You got some old traditionalists in there. You got some edgy young people. Although it's flipped now, have you noticed this? Like young people tend to be traditionalists and then the older folks are like super edgy. I don't know, I just sort of noticed that. Um, but what, what makes sense of them being together? Why would they come together like this? Be the kind of community where the only reason they get together is the grace of God. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was still sort of young and honestly, I think perhaps a little naive, he had a, he had a little community. Um, he had a, in, in Finkenwald, which was a, a seminary. And he wrote a, a book about that time called Life Together. And in the book, he, he says, whenever conflict comes up amongst our community, whenever conflict arises, we should celebrate and rejoice. Why? Because then we get to experience the gospel. Then we get to experience our relationship with God. 
Then we get to experience the grace of Christ. Think about it. What does grace do? Grace comes in the midst of conflict and reconciles. And so if you have conflict with another person, if you feel completely other from them, if you feel like we're never going to get through this, the worse it is, the more you should rejoice because that's precisely what the gospel does. It takes those intractable conflicts and says we're going to have something new happen here. God creates a completely new experience where we thought one was impossible. Paul says that the weak actually need the strong. The weak need the strong to remind them that cultural attachments are not what Christianity is about. And the strong are going to need the weak. The strong are going to need the weak in order to keep from thinking that church is about being right all the time and not about seeing others as Christ sees us. There is something universal about Christianity, and it's what I was just talking to the kids about. Yes, it can be rooted in any place. It can be like a tree planted anywhere, but the fruit will always be the same. Paul says the kingdom of God is justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will always come from a community where the gospel is central. That's the thing over time that will always be recognizable about that community. The soil might be different, but the fruit is always the same. So back to Hope Church. Uh, when we were there, the leaders were really wrestling with some things, mainly baptism. Baptism was a big one, but they were wrestling with some of these other things too. They were debating things like predestination, pre-lapsarian and post-lapsarian theology. And meanwhile, uh, the congregation itself uh, was not vexed over these issues. In particular, there was a woman named Betty Gordon. <clears throat> Betty Gordon had a very small house in a not very well-off part of town where she hosted a small group. And um, Sandy and I were newly married, uh, living in the attic of a, a large, old, old house. It's very hot in the summer. I was landscaping at the time. Um, Sandy was working as well. We were trying to just find our way, find our way. And we went to that little small group and we were welcomed. And I just imagine Betty showing up to church every day while the, the leaders are, you know, bringing the results of all their deliberations about, you know, how, this is, how in the world it could ever possibly be that Baptists and Presbyterians get together. And I can just, here, Betty is sort of the, the stronger sister, saying, it's okay, you do that. You work on those things, those are important to you. But I need to go make a peanut butter pie because there's this new couple in my group and they really, really need to be welcomed. And their names are Eddie and Sandy. That, I think, is a picture of the stronger and the weaker sister, the stronger and the weaker brother and I'm grateful for the welcome of those who have been stronger than me in my life. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, the good news that your Son has died and risen from the grave is here among us. And we ask you to let that news and that revelation transform our hearts, yes, but transform also the spaces between us and our relationships. Ground us, literally ground us, so that our roots may go into this good news and that we may bear good fruit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.